Let us pray. What a marvelous message it is. Jesus Christ is coming again. And oh, we look forward to that day. But in the meanwhile, we are continued to be in the struggle here on earth, depending upon God's grace. Now we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great urgency. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. For the last few Sundays, I've had in the bulletin information about uh, having a CBC Fun Friday instead of CBC Friday Night at the Movies. And I've had my spies out and about and trying to get a handle on uh, if that is something that you might be interested in. And so, uh, so far, it sounds like uh, it's something that people would really like to do. But this morning, I want to get a, a kind of a account. If, if, if this is something you would like to uh, attend, and uh, what we're going to be doing are essentially playing games, and there's a lot of different kind of games. We have uh, games for the kids, uh, a foosball and uh, air hockey without the air, and <laughs> ping pong and uh, dominoes and checkers. 42 uh, pit. I don't know if you have ever played pit before, but you hadn't lived till you played pit. Anyway, if it's something that you would like to do, let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you'd like to attend something like that. Okay. Now let me get the notary in here. <laughs> uh, I think this is something that's going to be really promising because uh, it's, it's good to see movies and I try to pick the best movies that I can but people like the fellowship they like to talk, they like to enjoy themselves so I'm going to start at this uh, the last Friday of each month is when it will be and that will be the uh, Friday the 27th of this month so you might key that in so you'll remember that and I'll be reminding you um, Next Sunday as well as and during the during the week, and I'll get where's Andrea? Andrea, we might have snacks or something there. Is that right? Okay, uh, we'll have snacks, and I, I think this could be uh, something that we all enjoy. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of confessing any unconfessed sins to God. Uh, during this silent prayer, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a very present help in time of danger. Furthermore, you are always there at the ready. Any time that we want to talk to you, you're available. We're so thankful for that. We just don't take advantage of that the way we should. We recognize that we live in the devil's world. It's a sin-sick, perverted world. And yet we are to be salt 
and light. In order to do that, we recognize that we can't do that on our own power. Furthermore, we can't do that in ignorance. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate so that we can learn the spiritual dynamics in order to be a good and faithful servant. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and some of you did not uh, get all the points I had at the end, so I thought I would start out by just giving you those. So that you can, if you have your Easter notes or if you would like to uh, jot some of these verses down. This is why it, why it was imperative that Christ rose from the dead. Now this isn't all the, the reasons why he had to, but it's a few of them. First of all, because he said he would. That's John 2, 19 through 22. Had God not raised uh, from the dead, if Christ had not been resurrected, then he would have been proven a liar. And if he's a liar, then he's not qualified to go to the cross, which, was, which simply means we have no salvation. I'd say that number one point's pretty big. Number two, to prove that God the Father accepted his sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 through 13. We know unequivocally that God the Father accepted the atonement that Christ made on the cross because Christ rose from the dead. If God had not accepted it uh, because God the Father as well as the Holy Spirit were instrumental in Christ's resurrection and Christ himself, all three members of the Trinity. Number three, to conquer death and share his victory with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is taken away because Christ gives us the victory. Number four, to prove that he is the Son of God and has power over death. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And Romans chapter 6, verse 9. There's no power in this universe that could hold Christ in that tomb. And as I pointed out Easter, the more that Satan did to trap him and hold him in the tomb, the easier it was to prove that he was resurrected because there was no other reason or excuse, no other way that he could have gotten out of that tomb apart from resurrection. Number five, so that we don't have to fear death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. I think that's really major. Because even believers sometimes think about how short this life is. And none of us have experienced death and come back, so we really don't know exactly what it's about. As church-age believers who are cognizant of the mystery doctrines of the church age, we recognize some of the things that are going to take place, but to leave this realm where everything is going to be different, I think would makes one pause. And when you stand before a doctor and he says, I'm sorry, it's terminal, you have uh, two months to be able to take that in stride and not have fear and panic grip you, uh, that is significant. That's where God wants us to be. Because really, we're just visiting. We're just sojourners here. 
Our real citizenship is in heaven. That is our home. Number six, to be our advocate to the Father. 1 John 2.1 and Hebrews 7.25. We don't plead our case by ourselves. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Number seven, to be head of the church. Ephesians 5.23. One thing that makes marriage so sacred is the fact that it is an image of Christ in the church. And that's what Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse uh, 22, is giving you the parallel between Christ being the head of the church and the church of the bride and the husband being head of the home, head of the wife, and the wife being submissive to him. Number eight, to go and prepare a place for us. John 14, 3. I had a discussion with someone on the phone this week, and they were um, going through a grieving process, and we were talking about <clears throat> uh, Christ said that he was going to go and prepare a place. And this person was asking, do you think that is a real place? Or is, I mean, like a location, a geographical location, a real home? What do you think? Of course, I told him, absolutely, I think that is. And, and best I can tell, all of our homes that, it, that Christ is going to prepare for us is in the New Jerusalem. Well, you know about the, the New Jerusalem? You can go to Revelation chapter 21. It describes the New Jerusalem. I, I, I can't say in all dogmatism, but I think we are reading a, a description of our future home. Number nine, to come back to earth to resurrect us. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 That is when we're going to check out of this world, maybe. We don't know when that's going to be. Did you notice the song that we sang this morning? Jesus is coming again. And for us, we are going to meet him in the clouds. You talk about a gathering. There has never been or never will be a gathering like that. That is going to be so phenomenal. Number 10, to return to set up his millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ is going to come back and set things straight. In order to do that, all unbelievers are going to be removed from planet Earth. And then we have really connected that, number 11, to fulfill the four unconditional covenants to Israel. So God has made four unconditional covenants. It's the Abrahamic, Davidic, Palestinian, and New Covenants that he has made to Israel. And they have not been fulfilled. The fact is, it's important to understand that they're unconditional. It's not conditioned upon anything that Israel does. It's conditioned upon God's faithfulness. And we know that that is when he's going to fulfill those four unconditional covenants. Number 12, to break the seals on the scroll in heaven and take back planet earth from Satan. This is Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. I described that in detail last time. Earth has been abducted by Satan for a long time. Christ is the only one qualified, the only one that will take back the title deed of earth away from Satan as he breaks the seals on that scroll. Number 13. To be our great high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Every time we pray, 
we should always pray in Jesus' name because that's the right protocol. That's the right chain of command. Jesus Christ is our high priest. We don't go to a human priest because we are a priest. But there still is a chain of command, and we go through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And number 14, to take Old Testament saints in paradise to heaven with them, uh, with him uh, when he ascend, when he ascended. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. The next slide is going to expand on that last point a little bit. But I see some of you still frantically writing. I don't want to change the slide until we're good to go. Is everyone good to go? Okay. <coughs> this is a slide that... Uh, George, won't you turn these lights off overhead? Just keep them off. I don't need them. Um, hell is actually described in two words. In the Greek, it's called Hades, and in Hebrew, it's called Sheol. Hades is H-A-D-E-S, Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And hell is the place of those who depart from, from, from uh, this earth, at least off the surface of the earth. And in hell, there's three compartments. The first one is paradise and sometimes called Abraham's bosom. You find this in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Old Testament believers, when they died, did not go to heaven. No one went to heaven until Christ led the way. They went to a compartment. I think it was somewhere in the bowels of the earth. I can't be dogmatic about that, but it seems to make sense that it was. Wherever it was, it's where Old Testament believers went. Their soul went there. Their body went into the ground. And Luke 16 is the, it's not a parable. It's an account of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus going into Abraham's bosom and the rich man went to this next place called Torments. And between Abraham's bosom and paradise here, and torments is a great gulf fixed according to Luke 16:26. Don't let anyone say that Luke 16 is a parable because parables do not use proper names as Luke 16 does. Now, torments is a place. Can you all see that all right? It's not coming as, as, well, if you could see my computer screen, it just punches it right out. Torments is for all unbelievers go to this place, and it's, it's named in Luke 16, 19, 31 as well. And so all unbelievers of the Old Testament, of every age, New Testament times, everyone, any unbeliever goes into this place called torments, and he essentially remains there until he's going to be uh, resurrected. That's right. Old Test I mean, uh, unbelievers get resurrected as well as believers. And then there's uh, one more compartment, which is Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. Now, you won't see that word in your English translation, unfortunately, because uh, they translated it hell. I, that's one of the ones they should have transliterated because it's the name of a place, a location. And this location is for the uh, fallen angels of Genesis 6, the ones that procreated with the women and produced the Nephilim. And God has locked them up in darkness for all this time and he will deal with them at a, in the future. In fact, when Christ's uh, body was in the tomb, 
his uh, soul went to this place called Tarments to make a victorious proclamation. He told those uh, fallen angels, those guilty fallen angels who had procreated with women, that he had conquered death, or he was conquering death. He was going to rise. He already paid the price uh, for the penalty for sin, and that was done here in uh, Tartarus. Now, this place is no longer, I'm, look, I'm pointing at paradise or Abraham's bosom, Old Testament believers, that wherever that was, that location is empty now. The reason it's empty is because when Christ ascended, He took all these un- Old Testament believers, their soul, and they, He took them to the new paradise, which is the third heaven. And this is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. That's the new paradise. So Old Testament believers, their souls and spirits are in the third heaven, and they weren't there until uh, Christ took them there. And you can find this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. Essentially, it says that Christ took uh, captivity captive. In other words, they were, as it were, captive in this place, this holding place, and he took, it appears, you could, uh, one could assume that he took that whole location of paradise and now it's in the third heaven. For sure he took the, the Old Testament saints to heaven, but since in 1 Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, it mentions paradise again, it appears that maybe paradise itself was taken to heaven as well. People in torments, these unbelievers, are going to be resurrected. They're going to stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. See, a lot of people think unbelievers, when they die, they go straight to hell. Well, they do. They go into torments, apartment of hell, but they don't go over here. A lot of people think they go into the lake of fire. They don't make a distinction. But they don't. They have to be judged first, and this is going to take place at the great white throne judgment. They rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior, so now He will judge them. He is their judge. Of course, we recognize that they're standing on their own righteousness, their own good works, which God does not accept. Therefore, His own essence compels Him to toss them into the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire here is, in Hebrew, it's called Tophet, T-O-P-H-E-T. That's the Hebrew name for the lake of fire. And in the Greek, it's Gehenna. That's G-E-H-E-N-N-A. This is the eternal location of unbelievers. It's also the location of Satan and his fallen angels. Now, they're not going to be, they're not going to the uh, great white throne because they've already been judged. The trial has already taken place and they have already been convicted. The reason that they're thrown in here is because they went outside of the boundaries of the rules of engagement that God has set up for planet Earth. That's why they're here. So they will go from Tartarus, this location. By the way, this is in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 is where it says that, they were, uh, that Christ went down. In fact, there's some creed. I can't remember the name of the creed that um, says that uh, Christ went into hell. Anybody remember that name of that creed? The Apostles' Creed. Okay, the Apostles' Creed says that he went into hell and people get all exercised about that and they go, oh, what do you mean he went into hell? Well, he went into this compartment of hell to make this proclamation to these fallen angels. 
And so uh, that's in 2 Peter 2, 4. Torments, Luke 16, 19 through 31, same for paradise and Abraham's bosom. This is also known as the second death here. Once these, uh, we will never experience the second death. These, these people in uh, torments, unbelievers, will have experienced physical death, and this lake of fire is described as the second death. But it's really not a death. They continue to uh, be cognizant. You know, when God imputes the soul, the soul is immortal. It lives on and on. And so it, you don't destroy the soul. And the soul of the whole, the whole issue is <clears throat> where is that soul going to reside for all eternity? I know I'm going through this pretty fast, but I hadn't even begun yet this morning. I got so much to, to, to give you, but the reason I wanted to give you that is expand on that reason that Christ had to rise from the grave is to take the Old Testament saints in paradise to heaven with him when he ascended. Now we saw this with regards to, to, to that. Now, you haven't seen this because I just finished this last night. I don't know what happened to number one over here. It's to the left, so just pretend that it's there. I'll have to, click, I'll have to fix that. And this is supposed to be centered, on, but you can at least tell what it, what it means. Five ways the faith rests. Now, when we got to, got to Joshua chapter 11 and verse 25, and it said that Joshua had, um, had accomplished a temporary rest for the people. That means they were not warring anymore. But we went to Hebrews chapter 4 and found that, uh, that this rest about Joshua is mentioned there. Now, why was the Hebrew writer, uh, Hebrew writer saying this? Well, it's because there's another type of rest that God wants for us. And we, I decided at that point not to just fly past that, but to expand on faith rest. Because this is a fundamental doctrine that every believer has to incorporate into his own soul or else you're going to be just like an unbeliever. You're going to be afraid all the time. You're going to be full of worry and dread. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to faith rest. So I decided I'm going to teach faith rest the whole enchilada. And we've been on it for, I don't know, a month or so already. And I don't know how long we're going to be on it. We're going to be on it until we're done. But we've already looked at some of the ways to faith rest. The first one is to claim a promise. And I gave you some promises, and I'll show you a few in a moment. Another way is the essence box. Whenever you're in a jam and you start to panic, you start to be afraid, and you start thinking of God's essence, he's got ten attributes, you start thinking about that, it calms you. It it calms me, anyway, when I think of that, about how he loves me and how all-powerful he is and all, he has all knowledge, he doesn't change. All these things have that is, is a, a pathway to a faith rest. By the way, as I'm explaining these, I want, to, I want you to understand, you can go to nearly, nearly any church in this country and you will hear pastors saying, well, you just need to have faith. Over and over again, they'll say that. And that's as far as it goes. And people leave and they think, oh, have faith. how do I have faith? I'm going to try to conjure up the faith. Mm, you know, you're trying to make it happen. And that's the failure. 
is because they don't have the mechanics. They don't have something solid to sink their teeth into of what they need to do in order to have that faith. And that's what this is. This is why I'm spending this time and giving you this whole enchilada because you have all these different ways of accomplishing that rest in your soul that God wants you to have. The third one is logistical grace, or we connect with that, the grace pipeline. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. We've already gone over those, remember? The grace pipeline. I want to also mention at this point, I have them one, two, three, four, and five, but it's no particular order. It doesn't mean that when you're going to, you're under testing and you want a faith rest that you have to start here claiming a promise you may want to. It might be where you go. Or you might just think of the essence box. That might be what you're comfortable with. That's your go-to place as soon as you start getting worried. Or it might be logistical grace in the grace pipeline. That's good too. I mean, they're all good. There is no particular order. It's just showing you ways that you can accomplish what we all need, which is to have that stability of faith, that we have that rest in our soul that God wants us to have and I'm showing you five ways. So far, we've gone over three. The fourth one, I hope we get to today, at least some of it, God's plan of seven imputations. Boy, is that going to knock your socks off. I showed it to you, I don't know, a Sunday or two ago. Remember, I just flashed it all on the screen, and I was looking at your eyes when I did that. And they went like, they got big. They were, man, they were they just huge. So I, I'm not going to talk about it much because right now because we're trying to get to it. And the last one is the a fortiori logic. And that's a Latin word, by the way. And <clears throat> we'll get to that as well. So all I'm doing is presenting to you five different ways that you can accomplish what God has provided for us, and that is to have faith in Him. And so when I say that it, 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 we are, it's impossible to please God without faith. But you can't just conjure up that faith apart from the dynamics. Where do you go? What do you think about? So we're going to start with the promises, just not start. I'm just going to give you a, fi a few promises. This is the number one uh, on that list of ways to faith rest. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read these, but I'm going to read them fast because we've already gone through it. But the main thing is for you to get some of these scriptures down. There's many, 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 many more scriptures. This is a few to give you an idea. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 26 through 27. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. Jeshurun is a spiritually mature believer who rides upon the heavens to thy help in, in his, excellent, in, in his ex, excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath us are the, are the everlasting arms. Now, that verse, I'm probably, if, I don't know if you did it, but I'm going to give you another chance to do it now. You can go to the front of your Bible where there's extra pages, blank pages, or even on the title page somewhere, and write this verse and then put out beside it, air travel. I don't know if you're afraid to fly. I'm not. I think it's a hoot. But uh, some people are. Or somebody you may know. Maybe, you know, just doing a meltdown right before takeoff, and you might... Uh, give them this verse. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. I believe that covers it, and that's talking about logistical grace. 
that you may have an abundance for every good work. The only reason that we're able to accomplish anything, have any good work, is because of this verse and what God has. He's supplied everything that we need. Doesn't that cover it? Always having all sufficiency and everything. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.2-4 Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Did you hear that? Boy, I just, it's so hard for me to just read these without just emphasizing how great they are. The knowledge of God. An ignorant believer has no, has no uh, grace and peace being multiplied to him because it's done in the knowledge. In the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us what? Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the what? True knowledge of Him who called us to His own excellence. If you're not jotting these verses down and be ready to refer to them, you're missing out. You don't get better verses than this with regards to faith resting. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I've got Matthew 6, 24 through 34. That's ten verses, and I, I had these in my notes, but I don't think I ever went over them. And so I'm going to slow down a little bit on this one, and we're going to read that because this is a go-to verse with regards to logistical grace. Logistical grace is one of the methods... One of the ways to get into faith rest is you recognize that God provides everything that we need. So, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If you're reading the King James Version, it's mammon. Next time you're at the grocery store, ask them, is it okay if I pay this with mammon? Verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to uh, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, most of you probably are not really concerned about where your next meal is coming from or even if you're going to have a meal. I mean, you take it for granted. It's always there. But that is not necessarily always going to be true. It can change overnight. And when you really, when, when all the grocery stores are empty, and there's no place to get food, you better have this verse written down. Start trusting the Lord so He'll provide. Number 20, uh, verse 26. Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? By the way, we just had an all fortiori there. I don't know if you missed it or not. Where is it here? Much more? In other words, the all fortiori is taking, taking something that is of greater magnitude, something that's harder to do, and comparing with something a lot easier. And what this is saying, if God takes care of the birds, then it stands to reason, all fortiori, with much greater reason, isn't he going to take care of you since you're much more important to him than a bird? Well, anyway, verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Boy, is that, isn't that great? Huh? I mean, I've talked with people. My sister, 
recently went to be with the Lord, March the 2nd, happened to be uh, Texas Independence Day. And I, I, one week after I saw her, she had uh, gone to be with the Lord. And there was, I saw no fear there, just great anticipation. She wasn't grinding in her mind, oh, how can I get another month, another day, another hour? No. The great thing about death is it's not up to us. God has determined the days of our lives on this earth. And He always makes a perfect choice, so why should we sweat it? Verse 28. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, you who are not faith-resting, you who did not write these verses down, and you're going to wish you did one day. By the way, verse 30 is another a fortiori. Verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That is... A great verse. Seek Him. Don't worry about the... Don't, you could say don't worry about the small stuff. Well, you think, well, you know, eating and drinking is not essentially small stuff. Well, it is compared to seeking God's kingdom, according to this verse. What we need to be concerned with is seeking Him, and He, will, he provides for all our needs. We're His children. Verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And if we, you know, we are not an amen in church, but this would be the place, right? I know you're thinking it. Amen. Yeah. Doesn't, this, doesn't each day have enough trouble of its own? No, it didn't have enough trouble. Why don't we just throw some more in there and worry about everything? I talked to this same person. I said, you know, Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, it says, Man is born to woe just as sparks fly upwards. You ever been out of a campfire? You ever had a fire? You ever seen sparks going anywhere but upwards? That's how sure that this life is full of woe. And God is protecting us. He's shielding us. He's insulating us from all of the dread and worry and anxiety and fear and panic by talking about this rest. And that's why we're here. We're talking about this rest. So whatever it is that is going to be on your plate, you think, I, I'm not just saying now, y'all go home and have faith now. No. What does that mean? Nothing. I'm showing you mechanics, practical things to do that will lift you out of that mire of worry. Okay, this is the essence box. I'm not going to really dwell here. I've already gone over it in depth, just so you'll remember what it looks like. I saw this about a zillion times. Somebody could say essence box at any time, anywhere, and automatically, boop, 
this image would pop up in my brain because I saw it so many times. And that's a good thing. Because when you're worried and all you're doing is just, oh, you know, you're just all, all taken with the problem, you need something that you can think, essence box, boom, there it is, you see it. So there you are. You, you're seeing it again. These are God's attributes. I went to each one of these and gave you verses. I gave you uh, practical examples of how this is relevant when you're facing trouble and woes and issues. I don't remember what's next. This would be a surprise to both of us. I don't remember. Let's see. Ah! Now we're... Let me turn this off a second. Oh, no. How do I get back to that? Oh, I've got to erase something. I'm trying to get back to here. Okay. Here we are. We're starting God's plan of seven imputations. I had to shut down all that to remind you. That's where we're, we're starting that today. And silly me, I thought, well, we get through that today. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Okay. God's plan of seven imputations. If you've never seen this, you're in for a treat. I love to see God's planning that was done in eternity past, and we're now just being able to uh, muddle through it uh, as we go through these things that was already, already there all this time. You think, well, how do these seven imputations have anything to do with faith rest? Well, just hang in there. I've got to go back to where I was now. By the way, I'm getting uh, some new software. And once I get past the learning curve, I think it'll be better. Okay, are you ready for the first two imputations? Okay. There we go. Now, this is, uh, it's not on over here? It's not been on all this time? Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, okay, y'all just hold on, it'll be there. Um, okay. We're talking about the unbelievers all in green here now. These, the imputations in this, as, as we go across, will be all in yellow like here. And this is the first and, and the second. I put numbers in there so you can keep track of it. So the, these are the first two imputations, and this happens to every person, these imputations. Because we are not born uh, believers. In fact, we're born spiritually dead, and this explains why. And so I'm going to go through this, and I have, see the X here? Because I learned this as a formula, and it was X plus Y plus Z. The X is the unbeliever, the Y is the believer, and the Z is the mature believer, which we will, I can assure you, not get to today. But we do want to see about this. These are the imputations that take place at physical birth. It happened to every person who has ever been born minus one. Lord Jesus Christ. So... Let's, let's go into it. First of all, soul life is imputed to biological life. Now, the, uh, when Adam was born, God formed him out of the dust, dust of the ground, and he was there. He was, he, had, he was ready to go. It'd be like a computer 
A brand new computer has all the latest gadgets, bells and whistles on it, but it's not plugged in yet. So it's just sitting there. You could say it's dead, right? Haven't we all seen dead computers? So that's what Adam was like. God had to do something. He had to give him this spark of life, essentially. And in uh, Genesis um, chapter 2, it says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And the breath there is called neshama in the Hebrew. It's talking about breath, and breath means uh, uh, an animation, a spirit, a, a life. And so, uh, when, and by the way, God, you know what God makes the soul out of? The same thing He makes, He made the heavens and the earth out of. You know what that is? Nothing. Try that one of these days, by the way. Start with nothing and come up with something. But anyway. Uh, so, uh, and so a person is born uh, human, humanly alive because at birth God breathes or he imparts, imputes this soul life to the biological life in the womb and he becomes a living soul. You know, really the body is just a house and we are what we think. The soul is that immaterial part of us and that in God makes that out of nothing and imparts it or imputes it at birth, something else happens at that same time. The second imputation is Adam's original sin is imputed to our old sin nature. Now already we're getting to areas that we're using some technical nomenclature that you have to understand. First of all, Adam's original sin is what condemns us. You can go to Romans uh, chapter 5. And chapter 5 is, a, is an exhaustive uh, explanation of that. Because when Adam fell, we all fell. He was the head, the representative of humankind to God. And when he fell, we all fell. And so his sin is imputed, is imputed or accredited to our old sin nature. Now, because when Adam fell, uh, what, what happened, by the way, when Adam uh when Adam sinned, uh, w- w- did he die instantly? Because God said, in the day th- that you eat that, that forbidden fruit, you're going to die. Did he die right then? No, he lived over 900 years. What happened to him was he died spiritually, and he also, that body, you know, you know if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would never have died. Because their body was as such that it was acclimatized, I guess you could say, uh, to their environment, and they would never have died. But when, when they did eat of the forbidden fruit, their body changed. It became a body of corruption. And not only did he die instantly spiritually when he ate of that forbidden fruit, that means that his, uh, his relationship with God was severed, but he also, his body, I don't know if... Uh, how it, if it, any visible, whether it was visible or not, but that body that was perfect, that was going to last forever, became corruptible, and it was just a matter of time till that body was going to go back into uh, the form it was before, which was the dust. I think now I'm not dogmatic about this, and don't hold my feet to fire on this, but I think when 
They're describing, uh, the Bible's describing Adam and Eve and, and their creation and so forth in, in Genesis chapter 2. The last verse in chapter 2 says, And they were naked and they were not ashamed. And I thought, why is that in there? I, the, uh, the last verse is just like, oh, by the way, throw, threw it in there. I think that they had some kind of aura, some type of maybe translucent light. You know, I'm not sure, but they were naked. But they didn't need clothes. They, they didn't need the clothes until they thought, well, I'm going to be right with God and I'll conjure up some fig leaves. I'll wear those. That'll, that'll work. Prior to that, I think they had some kind of covering. And when they sinned, I think that covering was gone. Uh, because when Jesus Christ in His resurrection body, He was light. I mean, he, they, he said that you couldn't look at him. It was just like looking, going outside right now, looking at the sun. It's full power. You can't do it. Light has something to do with... Uh, if you ever want to do a study, an exhaustive study, and, and you could write volumes on it, just go and study light in the Bible. So I think it's possible that that light went out, and then what, is it, what happened after they sinned? They knew they were naked. Well... A lot of things come into play with that. But my point is that they acquired an old sin nature. And that old sin nature is passed down in procreation by the male to every other person. I'm not going to go deeper into that. I could with regards to the chromosomes and all those things. But uh, man changed. He acquired an old sin nature. You have an old sin nature. I have an old sin nature. Every one of us have an old sin nature because of what of Adam's fall. Now, in these are called real imputations. A real imputation is when something is imputed to something that it has an affinity with. Some might say it's an antecedent. Some might say it fits, it goes. Soul life fits with the into the biological life that's in the womb, the fetus. It goes there. It fits. Adam's original sin fits with our old sin nature. Now, there's a result of this. When soul life is imputed at birth, the biological life, you have human life. Over here, you have Adam's original sin imputed to old sin nature, and, and, and that's also uh, imputed at the same time, and then you have what? Spiritual death. So you, this is the thing. A person is born humanly, human life. He's, he's got human life, but he's spiritually dead. And some people might think, now, wait a minute, I don't like this part about being blamed for Adam's sin. What, what's with that? It's one of the greatest things that God could possibly have done that had to be done or else you would have no salvation. That's how important it is. Because this, this principle is always true. Condemnation must precede salvation. You got that? I mean, you can't say, Hallelujah, I'm saved. Saved from what? Well, nothing. How much sense does that make? None. In other words, when you're saved, it's saved from something. There's got to be a problem before there's a solution. And when, when you were condemned by Adam's sin, it was imputed to your old sin nature. By the way, this old sin nature was already... Uh, when you were born, it's genetic. It's, it's in your genes. It's your, your flesh, your body. 
has an old sin nature. It comes with the body when you're born. So when, 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 when that took place, then you were under the gun. You were condemned. Here's the formula. Human life plus spiritual death, and then we're going to have the gospel. Here, you are physically alive and spiritually condemned. What do you need? You need the gospel, which sets up a potential, which is salvation. But back to this a minute. You know why this is so important that you were condemned for Adam's sin? It means, listen to this, very important. You were never and will never be condemned for your own personal sin. You know why? Because God condemned you for Adam's sin. He was the federal head. He was the representative. When he fell, the whole human race fell. And you know what that does? It sets up a potential now. Now you have, since you're born humanly alive and spiritually dead, if you get the gospel, this is Bible doctrine here, but in the form of the gospel, it sets up a potential that now you can be saved. And down here, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, boom, you're a new believer. The potential is realized through faith in Jesus Christ. But what about your personal sins? You're not condemned for those. Who was? Jesus Christ. If you were, if you were condemned even for one personal sin, then that would prevent that sin being imputed to Christ on the cross and you would have no salvation. Is it, becoming, is it gelling for you? Now, this is deeper than what most people go. If you want superficial, mediocre messages that doesn't go too deep, you're just a, a fair-weather believer, you're in the wrong place because I'm going to go down into the depths. That's where the good stuff is. Uh, my mother used to have a, a container of uh, lard, I guess it was, bacon grease and all that, and they would... Uh, when you, this is back, way back, and they would take the grease when they were through and they would pour, pour it in this metal container. It looked like a metal jar with a lid on it. And whenever they needed more uh, oil, uh, they would just take it out of there and plop it on there, see? And that thing would, it wasn't refrigerated. It just sat there. And the more you imagine it gets more and more in it. And it just sat there. And the reason I'm telling you, why, where is he going? Just hold on. Over time, it would build up in there. And if you really wanted to get the good stuff, you had to get down in the bottom. See? That's where all the flavor, I guess, and probably toxin, I don't know what all was there. But anyway, it sure did taste good. And my, I, my grandmother would take, and take, and take the, the uh, spoon and kind of take that top part. This is when we had, had a visitors and we had a family or a special occasion. And she would dig down in that deep part, and it was dark looking. Flop it on there. Well, that's what we want, isn't it? Don't we want the deep darks, the, the stuff that has substance? I mean, you could get by. You still go to heaven whether you knew any of this or not, but you'd never have the love and appreciation of God apart from what you're learning right here. I am so thankful that God condemned me at birth because of Adam's sin because it immediately set up a potential that I could be saved. 
He didn't wait around for me to commit my first sin. And everyone has that. What time is it? I'm already, I'm already, I'm late, I'm late. Already it passed up. But I'll, I'll give you just a quick peek again, okay? Oh, I went the wrong way. Here we go. That's where we were. There's a believer, and there's a mature believer. There you go. You got it? <laughs> I don't want you chewing on these other things you got enough to chew on already. Uh, and I'll go over that again. I went over it faster than I had intended, but uh, these are fundamental things. And if you, one of the things, when you see the whole thing of these seven imputations, one thing, you can know where you fit in God's plan. And second of all, it will give you momentum and inspiration and motivation to get to that seventh one because that's where God wants all of us to be. But it can't, can't happen apart from knowledge and positive volition. Let's please bow your heads, close your eyes. I think everyone's here, everyone that's here is a believer, but there might be someone on the Internet that might need to hear the fact that uh, this might, might all be kind of mumbo-jumbo to you. But the, the, the easy thing to understand is that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and He went to the cross to pay your debt issue on the cross. And He died and He was buried and He was resurrected and now He offers eternal life to you and anyone else who will trust in Him alone for eternal salvation. It's not of works. You can never merit it. It's only received as a gift the moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in His work on the cross, you are born again. You become a child of God. And now it's time to get moving through that plan of God. Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us to focus on these things. Help us to continue to meditate upon them where they will solidify in our souls so that they will be very useful in a very wicked world. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.